Hello and welcome to The Catch. I'm Matt Hansen, freelance editor with FineBet.com, joined today by writer and contributor for FineBet, Brad Neely. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything going on in the world of sports that we can fit into 60 minutes. Throughout the series, we will cover a range of topics, including sports betting and fantasy, along with keeping up with current events, trade rumors, and so much more. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FindBet under news and on Instagram at FindBet, just one word. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple, Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. All of our newest content can be found on FindBet.com. Dan Tran, Henry Curry, and Nahom Gojella are hosts for Three in the Key, where they discuss the current state of the NBA and provide you with all of their hottest basketball takes every Thursday afternoon. And in case you missed it, if you didn't catch Pop Dust Oscar Award live stream, make sure to head over to their YouTube page. Uh, our very own Ariana Prasad with Fine Bet was joined by Pop Dust contributors Ahmed Asour and Kelvin Blockman. And they gave some great insight on some of the nominated films. And they played a really fun guessing game where Ariana and Ahmed had to guess what the movies were about based only on the trailers of the movies. Kelvin, who had seen them all, uh, kind of filled them in on uh, how close they were to their guesses. So a special thank you to Kelvin, who painstakingly watched every Oscar film leading up to the show. Um, I know it was very difficult and trying for you, but thank you for getting through that, Kelvin. Um, but we're not here to talk about the Oscars, Brad. Um, we're here to talk about something else. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so the NFL draft just wrapped up this past weekend. Um, and it's always, in my opinion, one of the best weekends uh, in, I would say, April, but also for me as a fan throughout the year i mean when i was younger there'd be times where we'd take off you know the days that was back when it was saturday and sunday you, you know you just kind of lay around and and see what's going on and figure out you know who your your team is going to be able to take and all that stuff so but it's basically where teams and fan bases you get that renewed hope um and you get that uh that fresh perspective and, and new expectations with uh, at the conclusion of it. Um, the 2021 NFL draft was no different. Um, we saw five QBs go be drafted in the first round um, and eight total after the first three rounds. So definitely teams were at a point now where they're, you know, they're trying to get their franchise quarterbacks and they're not really messing around anymore with trying to find that Tom Brady in the sixth round. If they like a person uh, they're pouncing on them, not only in the first round, but second and third round as well. Um, there weren't, there was no drama at the picks one and two, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson were taken by the Jaguars and Jets respectively. Um, the real drama started at the third overall pick, um, where the 49ers were rumored to be enamored with QB Mac Jones from Alabama. Uh, but the pick ended up being North Dakota state QB Trey Lance. Mm -hmm. He's an extremely raw prospect, but also who has elite measurables, elite arm strength and mobility. Matt, what do you think your thoughts are on Lance being the pick over Jones for the 49ers? So this was a bit of a surprise, right? You know, leading uh, the week leading up to the draft, a lot of reports were coming out that, you know, San Francisco and Shanahan were pretty sold on, um, on the Alabama quarterback, Mac Jones. And both of the quarterbacks kind of we have limited um, exposure to, right? Like a little bit more from Jones, but um, during his sophomore season, um, we did, he didn't play the whole season. And, you know, he looked average considering the talent around him. Um, last season, Jones, a Heisman Trophy candidate, um, potentially you could argue he should have won it um, over his teammate, uh, Devontae Smith. But for me, what it comes down to, I think Kyle Shanahan looked at his past experience in the playoffs, right? You know, in Atlanta, um, mm -hmm. they had the lead against New England in the Super Bowl. They blew it because New England started putting pressure on the quarterback. And uh, at that time with Matt Ryan, you know, you have a quarterback that's great from the pocket. But once you flush him out of the pocket, he's not very mobile and isn't able to make a lot of the plays on the run. Fast forward to their Super Bowl appearance uh, with San Francisco, and it's the same kind of situation, right? You know, with Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Kyle Shanahan is somewhat limited in the ability to put his quarterback into um, certain situations, and when flushed out of the pocket, they become a lot less effective. Um, and we saw Kansas City be able to, to, to do that to Shanahan's uh, 49ers offense. So I think when it came down to actually making the pick for Kyle Shanahan, I think that he viewed Trey Lance as somebody that's going to have the arm strength to make those cross field throws on rollouts uh, off the West Coast play action. Um, and also when he gets into a bad spot, 
he's going to have the ability to take himself out of it with his legs and kind of, um, you know, be a Lamar Jackson type of a player for that offense that's still largely predicated upon uh, the run. Um, so, you know, just to give you some stats on, on Trey Lance, you know, he only played 19 games in college football, um, partly last year because of the, the, the COVID-19 and season. We only saw him play one game. So you really have to go back to his sophomore season uh, when we saw him play 16 games. And during that season, he threw for 2,700 yards, almost 2,800 yards on 67% completion percentage. Uh, he had 28 touchdowns to zero interceptions and added 1,100 yards on the ground with 14 more scores uh, rushing. So over the course of three seasons, his touchdown to interception ratio is 30 to one. Obviously, you can make the argument he's playing lesser competition, um, but with Trevor Lawrence off the board, I think Kyle Shanahan probably looks at Lance as the best total package left on the board, right? You have Justin Fields out there. Uh, you have Mac Jones out there. But um, Justin Fields, even though he ran a 4 4 40, um, you didn't see him implement that in his game at Ohio State. Whereas with Trey Lance, you saw him kind of be a quarterback that can do it all already. So when you look at an offense that's going to want to run a lot of um, uh, you know heavy sets, they're going to run RPOs, they're going to run play action. I think that, that Trey Lance gives the 49ers the best opportunity to come out of the gates um, firing all cylinders um, out of all the rookie quarterbacks that would have been available to them um, outside of Lance. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? That was pretty long-winded, but I wanted to make sure to kind of put some of that information in there because I think it's important to kind of consider that this isn't a reach. Uh, you know, before last season, many expected Trey Lance to be competing with Trevor Lawrence for that top overall spot, um, and he just kind of fell off, um, you know, largely, I think, because you only saw him play one game last year, but people forget um, you know, NFL scouts have been high on Trey Lance for quite a while. Uh, I think for me personally, I never really bought the Mac Jones hype for the 49ers at three. I thought that Trey Lance was always going to be that. And I think you and I had had some conversations leading up to it that, you know, I was pretty convinced it was going to be Trey Lance. So I guess I should have went to Vegas and throw down some money on that bet. But um, I think he's absolutely, he's a much you want to say what you want about him being raw, but he has more, to, more tools than Mac Jones has. He's got the mobility, like you talked about, he's got um, accuracy, uh, which is something that a lot of guys who are more mobile quarterbacks, maybe get knocked on a little bit coming out of the, of the college game, just because they're more likely they're going to, you know, run the ball. They're going to scatter from clean pockets, those type of things. So Trey, I think is, I think exactly what the 49ers need in their offense and you did a great job of setting that up um i actually think that zach wilson will be less of a of a quarterback than trey lance will be when we're talking about this in three years so i think that you know trey lance and even possibly being better than trevor lawrence as well um so i know that may be uh uh you know a, i guess a less view than maybe what a lot of people think of lawrence but i think that lance lance's potential is infinite and you have a coach um, who has the ability to develop a quarterback as well. And I think if you even look at what Lance is going to be throwing to, he's got Debo Samuel, he's got um, Brandon Ayuk, um, he's also got George Kittle, and now you've got Trey Sermon, the rookie running back, and um, uh, Raheem Mostert and Jamichael Hasty as well as their their core uh, skill position players around him. So, yeah, I think Trey Lance has – gone right into a situation where he can be successful successful right away uh possibly even more than lawrence and wilson with the weapons that they're being able to throw to mm -hmm. well yeah. let's stick with qbs brad i want to talk to you a little bit um about justin fields i have some thoughts on him going to chicago they made the move to, to trade up to grab him while he was still available um, they're a team that's transitioning away from a top quarterback pick and Mitchell Trubisky, who's now finding himself in Buffalo in a backup role. Um, but they traded a 2022 first um, to the Giants to move up and get him. Um, I want to get your thoughts before um, I give mine. Um, but what did you think about Chicago going up for fields? Do you think that's the, the right pick? Yeah, I think that they had to. I think that you're at a point now where Matt Nagy and um... – Ryan Pace are on the hot seat coming into this year and they not only had to get a quarterback, but they have to be successful this year. So I don't think that they're going to get maybe as much time as urban Meyer um, is going to get in Jacksonville or um, Robert Salah is in, in the uh, New York with the jets. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that 
they basically, I think when you look at Andy Dalton, you know, everybody's like, Hey, Andy Dalton's a starter. He's our starter. Yeah. I mean, no one in their right mind would have thought that. And with them being able to trade up and get into Justin Fields, Fields dropping was a little bit of a surprise, especially past Denver um, and Detroit as well. You know, I was surprised that he did fall past both of, of those teams with who have veteran quarterbacks, but need, you know, to look to the future as well. Um, but I, I actually, I'm a little bullish on this. I think, you know, Trubisky really struggled the last couple of years. I think Matt Nagy didn't do a good, good enough job of tailoring his offense to Trubisky. Um, but also I think that Fields checks all the boxes from a mental standpoint with what Nagy wants to do offensively. It's a little bit more of a complicated offense coming from the Andy Reid tree. And so I think that he is going to be able to do more things with fields at quarterback than he probably was going to be able to do with Trubisky, who I just don't think had the, the mind to be able to wrap his head around that type of offense and being able to read defenses and fields has already shown that he can do that. So I like it for Chicago. I mean, it's better than sitting back and letting Andy Dalton win you seven games and continue to be in quarterback purgatory, in my opinion. That might be a pretty liberal estimate. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right. So let me give you my thoughts on fields. So, you know, going back to when we were talking about Trey Lance and how we both kind of feel like this is a great spot for him. This is a rare draft in the sense that we saw a lot of top prospects end up in really positive situations, right? Like usually we're used to seeing the best players, you know, go to the worst teams, which, um, you know, usually doesn't work out for them in in the first year or two. Um, now, Fields is somebody I think is going to be a good quarterback. Um, I think that as long as the coaching staff can kind of use uh, the running game to support him uh, throughout the season, um, I think that you can see a very productive rookie season out of Justin Fields. Now, Chicago's offense overall, since Nagy has taken over, has been up and down. But last year, they were just bad, okay? Um, they're 26 in yards per game, 22nd in points per game, and that's a playoff team. Um, you know, they, they showed what kind of a team they were in the first round um, once the Saints got a hold of them. But, uh, but we can look back and wonder how much of Mitch Trubisky's poor performance can be attributed to, in my opinion, an underperforming coaching staff. Um, you know, that's not to say I think Trubisky's a good quarterback because I don't. But I think that you have to also take into consideration that the coaching staff did a really poor job overall, in my opinion. Um, and this is going to be the same staff that's largely going to be navigating fields through his first rookie season. So... Even though they have Allen Robinson back on a one-year uh, franchise, Anthony Miller, um, there's been a lot of trade rumors going around him, so he might not be there come uh, the beginning of the season. And um, other than Robinson, they really just have Darnell Mooney, who kind of came out of nowhere last season as an unheralded rookie, caught 61 balls for four touchdowns. Um, but he's put himself in a good position to be opposite um, Robinson as their number two. Now, Andy Dalton, as you had mentioned, presumably going to back up fields. I really don't see this coaching staff putting Dalton in because I think that Nagy and, and that entire staff, is, is they're going to have a short leash. Uh, you know, they've underperformed, and I think that ownership recognizes that. The front office recognizes that. So I think that they're going to put their guy out there, Justin Fields, because they invested all this, this stock and draft capital into moving up and getting him and because they think that he's the guy. Um, and I agree. I think that's a good decision. My only thing is that, well, I think that they might have found their franchise quarterback. I'm not so sure that Chicago's found their right coaching staff yet. So if you combine those two things, you know, I worry about how Justin Fields is going to look under this Matt Nagy offense. Because even last year when David Montgomery was going crazy, it almost seemed like they were hesitant to keep giving him the ball. Um, Nagy's one of those coaches kind of similar to Matt LaFleur that they're genius offensive minds, right? You know, supposedly. Um, and we Supposedly, saw the teams yes. go in two directions. You know, LaFleur and, and Rodgers, the offense kind of gelled last year. And with, with Nagy and Trubisky and David Montgomery, it just kind of fell off the rails. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. What do you think? you think my take's crazy? you think uh, I'm kind of on point? No, I, I, I see both sides of it. I think that here's the thing for me. Like, if you look at Chicago, who was a playoff team, like you said last year, they have an elite defense. Um, their defense basically got them to the playoffs last year. 26 in yards per game, 22nd in points per game. Even if Justin Fields can be average in his first year, average meaning the Bears land somewhere in the 15 to 20 range for yards and <clears throat> points per game, I think he absolutely, they absolutely have uh, a chance to not only get to the playoffs, but also be a contender to get to the NFC Championship with that type 
of defense that they have. If you look at the Saints game last year in the wild card round, the Saints, they, they, the, the Bears were in that game until basically the fourth quarter. Um, the Saints were only up by just, uh, it was, I think, 10 points going into the fourth quarter. So very manageable um, down and distance, very manageable score to get back in. But their defense just could not continue to stop them. And they wore down because they were on the field so much. And it ended up being a 28 to 7 loss uh, in that in that range there. So um, I, I think Fields is going to do well. Um, I actually am, am more excited to see him play in Chicago. But I, I think from our standpoint and what we're talking about the coaching staff, the, the coaching staff has no excuse anymore. If they end up face planning this year, they completely ruin – um, you know, Justin Fields and are asking him to do things he's not, you know, equipped to do, then yeah, they deserve to be fired because that's just you, a good coaching staff morphs their, their plan and, and their, um, their scheme to their players. They don't try to fit players into their scheme. So I think that's where I'm at from there. So, um, so moving on from Justin Fields, I think for us, the next quarterback to talk about is Mac Jones in New England, who was picked just a couple picks after Justin Fields. Can he supplement Cam Newton as a starter this year, or is this going to be a redshirt year? And do you think that Mac Jones is going to be a successful quarterback in the NFL? A lot to unpack there, I know. But, uh, okay. So yeah, it's it's a total redshirt year uh, for Mac Jones in New England. Um, you know, Cam Newton proved last year if he's healthy, he can be a very effective starting quarterback for the Patriots or any team in the league, in my opinion. I think he's always been somebody extremely underrated and underappreciated. Um, you know, he's a guy that wants to win. And even though he might rub people the wrong way with some of the things he says in, in, in post-game press conferences, um, you know, in my opinion, Cam Newton is a winner. Um, and he's going to help this team tremendously this year um, because it's going to be a better team. In the NFL. Um, but, you know, Bill Belichick, we, we hadn't seen his offense work that way the entire time that Tom Brady was there. So for basically two decades. Uh, so it was different. Um, but they had success. They had bouts of success. They dealt with injuries. They had players opt out. I think it was a league high, um, eight starters last year. Um, so it wasn't really the full complement of the Patriots that we're going to see this year. Um, now Jones had a fantastic junior season at Alabama, as I mentioned earlier, he threw for 4,500 yards and 41 touchdowns. Um, but he doesn't have the mobility. So I think that Cam Newton gives them a little bit more in regards to wrinkles that they can throw into their offensive strategies, just because, you know, with Cam, you have that threat of him taking off on a designed run, uh, RPOs, quarterback keepers, whatever it may be. Um, so even though we saw Mac Jones take that big leap in college from his sophomore to junior year, there's a significantly bigger leap here, and Jones is, is not going to be ready for that. Um, you know, plus he had Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith to, to throw to last year. So it's kind of tough to gauge, um, you know, where he's at coming into the league in regards to being ready for the professional game. Um, but New England's going to be much better and they're going to put their best players out there because Bill Belichick's going to view this team as a team that can compete with the Chiefs or the Browns or the Ravens um, to, to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. So, you know, I think it's clearly Cam Newton. In regards to the second half of your question, if I think Mac Jones is going to work out, I absolutely do not think that Mac Jones is going to be a successful NFL quarterback. I think Jimmy Garoppolo probably has a better arc, um, and we all know how that one kind of turned out. So, uh, you know, good news for Bills fans and the rest of the AFC East. I don't think that New England's found their, their quarterback of the future. Uh, but unfortunately for you, um, I think Cam Newton is going to be good enough to keep that team competitive and into the playoffs this season. I would, I completely agree with you on the Mac Jones not being a successful quarterback. He maybe is going to be solid. Maybe he puts together a couple of stretches of games where he plays well, but I think that he's at most an average starter and a high end backup is what his arc is going to be in the NFL. Uh, I'll be, I'll, I'll be more than happy to eat some crow if he turns out to be the next Tom Brady, which would be a total <laughs> devastation as a Bills fan. But um, for me, I, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sold on the Patriots. I agree. I think that they're going to be better. I think they're going to be a tougher team than they were last year, but I look at this offense and you got David Andrews and Trent uh, Brown back to the starting lineup for them. Mm -hmm. You have better players on offense, but is Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Nikhil Harry, uh, Jacoby Meyer, those are your wide receivers. Uh, is that really going to strike fear into your heart as a defensive game planner, especially from top tier AFC teams like you talked about? I don't think that it does, even with Cam Newton at quarterback. 
and you've got, you know, the running backs are Sonny Michelle and James White. Um, they drafted a running back uh, in the third round this year um, from Oklahoma, um, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. So actually in the fourth round, they got him. But is that, I mean, is that a type of offense that is going to, you know, scare you? Even with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith as their tight ends, I just, I, I'm not there yet. You know what I mean? I, I still think that the Bills and the Dolphins, even the Jets possibly have a better outlook on offense than the Patriots do right now. Um, Cam Newton definitely has to be healthy. I think COVID played a big uh, part in why he kind of took, you know, a, a down, uh, I guess, uh, took a swing towards the downhill during the year and never really recovered from that. Um, the Patriots, they're going to be better on defense, but they just don't scare me on offense. I just don't think that there's anything there that shows us that they're going to be able to contend with the, the top end of the AFC this year. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Um, and just me, I just, I cannot overlook Bill Belichick having any type of talent whatsoever. Um, because the second that you start, uh, underestimating what he's able to do with it is, is when he comes and he punches your team straight in the mouth and um, ends their playoff chances. So I'm going to just hold my tongue until uh, about Thanksgiving and see where they're at. But to me, you know, I, I could see Bill Belichick having a plan uh, to completely change the way offense is played this year. You know, he brought in two spectacular tight ends. Um, they drafted a couple last season as well. And while I agree the receivers are not really top tier by any means, um, New England's done pretty well throughout their careers, you know, making Wes Welker look really good and Julian Edelman look really good and, uh, you know, Philip Dorsett looking like he was a deep threat. So, uh, and also Cam Newton throughout his career in Carolina <clears throat> largely played without receivers outside of Steve Smith Jr. So um, I'm going to hold my, my final opinion on the Patriots. And I, I am planning on talking about them a little bit later in the podcast, um, but to me, the story of the first round, even though we knew the quarterbacks were going to go, um, but receivers, to me, were the story of the first round. Um, what's your take on what we saw in the first round with um, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, uh, Devontae Smith, and a few other receivers going um, early on in the draft, um, but especially the, the, the top three, Chase, Waddell, and Smith, um, all end up in, in very interesting situations. And um, I kind of wanted to get your, your take on, on how you think they're going to do based on where they went. Um, and also, you know, who out of all the guys returning to their college quarterbacks is going to have the most success. Uh, so it's kind of a 180 from where we were at last year. So for me, with us being in a dynasty league and following prospects, like not only are you excited about the prospect, which Chase Waddle and Smith are all very, you know, elite wide receiver prospects, but it also matters where they land too. you know? So when we went into the draft last year, running backs were the big thing. And you had JK Dobbins who landed in Baltimore, but had Mark Ingram as his backup. You had Deandre Swift go to Detroit. He had uh, Adrian Peterson signed and um, carry on Johnson in front of him. So mm -hmm. um, didn't have a ton of, of avenues to production early, which is, you know, a bummer when you're talking about rookies this year, when we talk about the wide receivers, they have the top three have a, a huge potential to be early contributors right away. I mean, Jamar Chase going to Cincinnati as the first wide receiver taken off the board. He's reunited with Joe Burrow, um, who he played with at LSU, who he had w one of the best statistical uh, years of his career. He sat mm -hmm. this year out because of COVID. Um, Jalen Waddell, he goes to Miami, is reunited with Tua. Um, He's maybe of the three that went the one I'm the least high on, just because I think you and I share this sentiment that uh, we're both not sold on Tua yet with the Dolphins. Um, and so I think that he also has the most competition for targets with Devontae Parker and uh, uh, Preston Brown uh, at wide receiver. And as Will, well. Fuller, uh, Will Fuller came over there too. Exactly. So he's got a little bit more of a roadblock from a production standpoint. And then the Eagles getting Devonta Smith, who's reunited with former Alabama. And now he went to Oklahoma for a year, but he was at Alabama for a couple of years, Jalen Hurts. So um, for me, I'm uh, Jamar Chase is, I think is going to be a top 15 wide receiver this year, right off the bat. I just think that him and Burrow are going to pick right up where they left off. Um, I really like the Devonta Smith. Um, pick for Philadelphia. Uh, you've got, now you've got Smith and you've got Jalen Rager. Um, and you've also got, um, you know, you've got uh, 
Dallas Goddard now, who's going to be the starting tight end. Zach Ertz is still with them, but he's most likely going to be traded here before the season starts. So Smith and Chase, excellent positions to contribute right away. Um, as far as who comes out of this year, the best wide receiver, that's tough because who would have thought last year that Justin Jefferson was going to be the best rookie? I mean, when you had Jerry Judy and he, uh, Henry Ruggs and um, all of those uh, wide receivers that were just more highly touted than him. Um, I believe for me, that there's actually um, audio evidence that uh, I, I, I believe that. I, you know, I, I get it. I, I, maybe there is, we'll have to go back in the archives and check that, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. I know that you were, a, you were a big uh, fan of Jefferson coming into the draft. And even with Minnesota there, he, he just had an amazing year, mm-hmm. but back to these three, I, I, Jamar chase for me, if I'm ranking them, it's chase Smith and Waddle. So chase and Smith, I think are going to be interchangeable. I like chase just because I think that burrow, um, is a little bit of a more refined quarterback right now than Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. but we saw how well Jalen Hurts did down the stretch last year for Philadelphia. So yeah, that was our all great points, Brad. Um, I agree with most of them, but um, so here's the thing. So this is a great group of receivers all landing in above average spots, as you had mentioned, and you can make the case for any of them to be the Justin Jefferson of uh, this season, <clears throat> but the obvious choice is, is Chase, right? Like you had mentioned, um, because he's reuniting with Burrow, who is definitely the most developed quarterback out of all three of those. And we they had the most success in college together. Um, but the least appealing, probably, as you had mentioned, Jalen Waddle in Miami. You can make the argument about um, Devontae Smith just based on the quarterbacks. It really just depends subjectively how you feel about Tua uh, and Jalen Hurts. Um, but let's not forget that the Eagles have Jalen Rager, like you had mentioned, who was a first-round pick last season. They need to get targets to him. Greg Ward has done a good job at establishing himself as at least an important piece of that offense um, and somebody that you still have to call plays for. Travis Fulgham, throughout the beginning of last season, showed the ability that you know he could potentially be a starting receiver in the league uh, before both he and kind of the rest of the Eagles fell apart uh, towards the second half of it. Um, Zach Ertz, as you mentioned, again, for now, um, still with the team, but really Dallas Goddard looks like a really good tight end um, and somebody that is going to kind of seamlessly transition into that starting role for the Eagles and, you know, maintain a pretty high level of production from that position. And Miles Sanders, when healthy, uh, demands touches both in the run and pass game. Um, So for me, like, I could honestly see the Slim Reaper being more of a Deshaun Jackson replacement this season than somebody that's going to kind of slide into a, you know, every down number two or number one receiver role. Um, I think that he'll have big plays, um, but I think that he might be someone that's going to slowly get worked into the offense. Um, Chase, again, reunited with Burrow. That's great for him. Great for Burrow. I think Cincinnati largely is going to be a better team overall. Um, So Houday Nation is probably going to be a lot happier this year than they were last year, especially after they saw their their star quarterback go down. Chase's main competition for looks is going to be T. Higgins, who's a second-year player and uh, a more established Tyler Boyd. So I don't think that's really going to be that there's going to be hurdles in the way of Chase getting looks and and targets. Um, But I think it's going to come down more so that defenses are going to be able to manipulate Cincinnati's offense through game planning by taking Chase out of the offense um, and letting Burrow kind of beat them by throwing them to guys like Higgins and Boyd. if they can kind of, if defenses can focus on just double teaming Chase, who's a rookie, he's going to have struggles out of the gate anyways, and maybe kind of trying to contain Joe Mixon in the running game. Um, Chase is far and away the most talented player on that offense. So I think defenses are going to recognize that. Um, and similar to, I think, what Kyle Pitts is going to in, uh, endure in, in Atlanta, even though he's a rookie and there's other established talent around him, I think that defenses are going to focus on Chase. So that leads me to who I am actually going to pick as having the, I guess, most productive or maybe just from a fantasy perspective. It's actually Jalen Waddle. And I do have my doubts about Tua, um, as we had talked about both on air and off air in the past. But here's my thing about Waddle is that he's just, you know, he's essentially like, you know, you're hoping he's the new Tyree kill, right? Because that's why you draft him. Mm-hmm. He's a home run waiting to happen. So, you know, I see the Dolphins and, and Brian Flores using 
um, Waddle and, and a lot of the same ways that Kansas City does with Tyreek Hill, which means you're going to see a lot of wide receiver screens, bubble screens, end arounds. You can run them out of wildcat formation, quick slants, but just get the ball in that guy's hand in space and let him work. And um, that's why I think that it's uh, that's a great pick for Tua because I do have my doubts about Tua Tungvaluwa and his ability to throw downfield. But if he doesn't have to throw that far, you know, he's accurate on the short passes. We know that. And he has, you know, you would imagine some level of rapport with Waddle already. Um, you know, it might be the key to unlocking the potential that Tua has. And, you know, they have guys, as we mentioned, like Devontae Parker, who can handle heavy lifting um, and red zone targets. Will Fuller is going to just stretch the field like we saw him do with Houston last year. But that leaves a lot of open space for Jalen Waddle to work. So for me, from a fantasy or just like if you're asking me who you think is going to have the best numbers at the end of the year, just based on the situation, I think it's Jalen Waddle. I, I mean, I could see that side of it. Uh, I just, for me, I think what takes a big hit in my book with Waddle is just with the amount of mouths they have to feed in Miami and the, and the amount of, I guess, continued um, development from Tua that we have to see. So, you know, if you're going to, I think for me, if I, you know, if we have to choose, and like you said, you've got Woodall as, as being the most productive, I think that it's going to be Jamar Chase. And I just think that, um, you know, teams are, are going to have to pick somebody, uh, like you said, to, to take away. Um, but I think Chase is just has so much elite uh, traits as a wide receiver and with a, a competent quarterback throwing to him in Cincinnati. Um, I, I think that, Chase is going to have the best year if you if you look at it from that. So we can agree to disagree, but um, I think if if you're looking at just from a offensive standpoint, and we're like I said, it's May third right now, so we're looking at it from offensive. You know, there's a lot that's going to change going down the road, and injuries and all that can stuff can change that very quickly. Um, but I, I'm going to go with Chase. I think it's having the best year this year. And maybe that's a little bit of a easy pick since he's the, the first wide receiver off the board. So, but um, for it's me, it's easy to project. So, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. So let's stick with uh, the last two wide receivers here that were taken in the first round. We've got Kadarius Tony that went to the giants at uh, number 20 overall. And then Baltimore took Rashad Bateman at number 27, who I think you and I both, love that pick for the Ravens and, and how much he's going to be uh, a threat in that offense. And, and, you know, let's go with Bateman here at the beginning. I think that he's going to be, um, I, I think we talked about this before. Lamar has no reason now to not continue to develop as a passer. Last year, we could have had a little bit of a, a beef with talking and he didn't have really a lot of talent. You know, Marquise Brown was really the only wide receiver that um, ended up being, you know, startable I guess from a fantasy standpoint but now he's got Sammy Watkins he's got Marquise Brown is back and you've also got now Rashad Bateman who is a uh, basically a contested catch uh, bandit when it comes to taking uh, balls that possibly should be intercepted away and making them catches mm -hmm. what do you think with I guess what do you think with Bateman and how do you feel uh, Kadarius Tony would slide into the Giants lineup as well? So, yeah, we are in agreement about Rashad Bateman. I thought he, you know, he's not a sexy pick, like, by any means. Like, he's not somebody that teams are salivating to move up the board and get. But at the same time, for a team like Baltimore to be able to get Bateman, on the other side of the coin, you know, I feel like he slid way too far. You know, there are teams that needed receiver help that probably should have taken Bateman that didn't. And I think that teams are going to regret that because, as you had mentioned, Bateman, the good thing about Bateman is he never really had any issues with drops. Like, he's pretty consistent, and he can go out and make those tough catches. So when you have a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, who at times struggles with his accuracy, um, you know, that is uh, the kind of receiver that you're going to want. Someone that can go out, make a tough catch, and bring it down, uh, inbounds, and keep moving the chains. So I think it's a really good pick for Lamar. I do agree with you. You know, I've been a Lamar defender forever. Um, I've been on him since Louisville. I wanted the Browns to draft him um, the year that they drafted uh, Baker Mayfield. And, you know, jury's still out either way on that, but uh, I'm happy with Baker. But you know, I agree. This is a make-or-break year for Lamar in the sense that I don't think he's ever going to get replaced in Baltimore. I think mm -hmm. he's their quarterback moving forward. But I think that you might have to stop looking at him as this, um, you know, special player that is irreplaceable. Um, 
if he doesn't put out a, a, a strong playoff performance and bring them at least to a, a win or two in the playoffs this year. Um, there's too much talent there. And while I thought the team should have been more active in going out and pursuing Antonio Brown, uh, you, uniting him with his cousin Hollywood Brown and, you know, giving Lamar Jackson a legitimate threat last year, um, you know, they did go out and address the receiver issue this year. They do have J.K. Dobbins coming back. That At this point, he has the reins of that backfield. Um, and the defense is still pretty good, albeit losing a couple players. Um, so, you know, I think that Bateman's going to look good in Baltimore. I hope not too good because I, I'm really hopeful about my Browns this year. But um, going over to Kadarius, Tony, and the Giants, that's like the complete other side of the coin for me. Giants are a team that never fails to amaze me at how incompetent their front office has been ever since they were gifted Eli Manning by him essentially saying, uh, yeah, I'm not playing for the Chargers, just coming to New York. But they're only outdone by the incompetence of the New York Jets. So luckily it's not that far away. So they kind of, you know, avoid the limelight of such a bad front office. But this is a team, Brad, that just signed Kenny Galladay back in March. And they take a receiver in the first round. Um, explain to me why that wasn't a defensive player or maybe somebody that can help Daniel Jones stay upright. Um, even a, a running back, I don't know. It just seems like receiver was the last thing they needed to transfer. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think that you probably could, you know, the Giants had already traded down once in the first round uh, with the Bears to when they had taken Justin Fields, so um, they netted some draft capital from that. Um, but there were other players, I think, that probably could have been in play there, uh, other than wide receiver. Like you said, they had taken um they had signed Kenny Galladay you've got Sterling Shepard as well still with uh the Giants so that is two wide receivers right there that there's your two starting wide receivers you've got Saquon Barkley at running back so what do you think is going to be you know beneficial for them possibly taking an offensive tackle um you know they had a chance to take Christian Derrissaw, who was eventually taken by the Minnesota Vikings a few picks later, who was probably the second best rated tackle on, on the board overall in the draft. Um, you also had a chance to take uh, Greg Newsom, a cornerback from Northwestern. Uh, you know, both of those I think would have played better to what the Giants are trying to do than taking a, a wide receiver that they probably could have gotten at the beginning of the second round if they really were still in love with him. I don't see anybody else <clears throat> in that first round other than the Ravens who ended up taking Bateman um, who were going to go after a wide receiver there. So I agree. I think that, that it was a pick that was a little bit more of a reach, even though they had traded down to get to that spot um, and they had acquired some, uh, you know, another first round pick from the bears next year because of that. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't make a lot of sense um, with the needs that they had on defense. And also, you know, just in general, I think that they need to be able to protect Daniel Jones and be able to give him as much time as possible to continue to develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know what the Giants are doing. You know, it, it hurt when Saquon went down. Uh, obviously, he's still going to be the focal point of that offense. So as you had mentioned, there's two veteran receivers that are going to be, you know, solidly ahead of Tony on, on the depth chart. And they also have Evan Ingram. Um, so, you know, the, there's Miles to feed there. And I just don't see Tony being any type of an impactful player for, you know, maybe a season or two down the road. Um, but, you know, that's not a shot at the kid. Hopefully he does well. I just question the pick. Um, a question I have for you is fantasy-wise, Brad. Who's your must-have wide receiver in fantasy this year all right we're talking about rookie wide receivers i would imagine right so rookies rookie yeah so the rookie wide receiver that i want this year um is definitely chase i think that i i'm not gonna just go back and um you know i just kind of had a glowing review of him so i'm gonna i'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and i'm gonna say chase <clears throat> chase is the one to have um in in redraft this year and i also think um, he's going to be the first wide receiver taken in Dynasty as well. What about you? Who's your must-have for this year? In regards to rookies um, in redraft, I'm going Jalen Waddell for all the reasons I laid out earlier. Um, but, you know, for all the reasons that you laid out about Chase, uh, you know, it, it's, it's Jamar Chase and Dynasty or in keeper format. I think he really has the potential. You know how high I was um, on Justin Jefferson, and I really think that Jamar Chase has the potential to be better just from a pure raw talent standpoint. Um, but now being that he's getting the link back up with Joe Burrow, um, I mean, 
I think that the the possibilities are endless for him starting this year. Um, but yeah, if it's just this year, I'm I'm taking a wild card on Jalen Waddle. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll see how it works out. Um, well, I think that we hit the wide receivers pretty well here from the first round. Let's talk about. Uh, what has become the forbidden fruit in the NFL, taking a running back in the first round of the NFL draft. And we had two teams that did it, and it was back-to-back -back here uh, late in the first round. Najee Harris was the first running back taken um, in the draft, by the, and they, he was taken by the Steelers. And then the Jaguars came back with the very next pick and took Travis Etienne. For me, I know the answer to this. I have very strong opinions about this, but who do you think lands in a better situation right now to contribute right away starting this year? I mean, isn't Najee Harris by a landslide? Uh, the Etienne pick to, to Jacksonville just confused me so hard that I actually stopped watching the draft at that point because my brain just, was hurt. He completely aborted the draft. He was done after that. I did. I mean, I was out at that point because I thought that I was hallucinating or something because, I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the Jaguars had uh, James Robinson last year. Uh, yeah, they have this, this you know, this, this undrafted rookie running back who's making barely the league minimum uh, and go off for 1,200-plus all-purpose yards. Uh, and then, oh, hey, oh, by the way, you also signed Carlos Hyde. So now you have two running backs and then you decide, and hey, you did a great job with the first overall pick. You can't mess that pick up, right? I mean, it's pretty pretty hard to do that when you've got uh, Trevor Lawrence on the board. Sure. And then you go and you you just completely flub it up by taking ATN. And don't this doesn't take anything away from ATN being a good quarterback. He's or a, a running back, sorry. He's a very good running back. Just he's in a situation where he's possibly now only going to be on the field for passing downs and not going to be getting any type of contribution from the actual rushing side other than in third down or, or halfback draws on third and long, things like that. So, yeah, it just was very much a head scratcher um, with all, again, like we talked about with the Giants, with all of the issues the Jaguars had on defense or offensive line. They're, everywhere. Think, <laughs> yeah, everywhere. You know, kicker, long snap, everything. Exactly. Even wide receiver, I would say, you know, they're, they're still have a shot to be able to, to improve that as well. Give, give your quarterback some better weapons to throw to. So yeah, it was just, it's mind boggling how, why that happened. Um, you know, but going to Najee Harris, I, I think that the Steelers pretty much had zeroed in on him as their pick from when the draft prep started, I think. So um, with where they were picking and, and where, uh, you know, how much value the Steelers put on having a solid running game. I think he's going to be able to contribute right away. I think he's going to have a large role in that offense right away. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how that offense does without having much offensive line help. They were in the bottom third of the league the last two years in run blocking. Uh, and I think that kind of showed too with how, you know, much pressure that put on Ben to perform. You know, he was injured the year before. Mm -hmm. And then last year, he just kind of shut down as the year went on. Uh, they weren't winning games on uh, because of Ben. They were more winning than because of their defense and and just kind of how game script went as well. So, yeah, with Pittsburgh, it's weird to me because you know it's just Pittsburgh being good at football just kind of seems like death and taxes. Like you just kind of don't think about it because you expect it to be true. Um, but this is coming from someone that's watched Pittsburgh beat the crap out of Cleveland ever since they came back in 1999 twice a year, and Pittsburgh is not the same team that that you expect them to be coming into the season. They are a team that are in transition. Uh, they understand that Ben Roethlisberger, whether it's at some point this season, maybe it's after next year, maybe it's five years down the road, who knows with Ben Roethlisberger when he'll actually retire. But what I can tell you is that Ben Roethlisberger cannot put up the same type of production that we last saw him in a full campaign when he threw for over 5,000 yards. That's not who he is anymore. So they are going to have to kind of shift what the offense does, and Najee Harris definitely can be a part of that. But if Pittsburgh cannot pass the ball, and we saw, you know, a decline from Juju Smith-Schuster last year. Um, and luckily for them, they had Chase Claypool to kind of pick up some of that slack. But if they're unable to successfully pass the ball the way they have in the past and teams are starting to stack in the box, like Najee Harris is a big bruising back, yes. But I don't think he's Derrick Henry in the sense that I don't think you're going to see Najee Harris breaking away for as many long runs as we see Derrick Henry do. So if the defenses were able to stack 7-8 in the box and shut down the run, I mean, I'm – 
not necessarily bullish on Najee Harris. I'm a little scared uh, for him. And also, as we mentioned, Etienne, bad situation with the Jaguars, which is unfortunate. I thought Etienne was by far the most talented running back heading into this draft. So to answer your question, I'm actually going to take it away from those two and um, keep an eye on two running backs coming out of North Carolina that were drafted this year. Uh, Javante Williams landed in Denver and Michael Carter landed with the New York Jets. Both these guys rushed for over 1,000 yards for North Carolina last year. Uh, Williams kind of garnered a lot of the attention with his 22 touchdowns from scrimmage, uh, but both carried monster yards per carry numbers. Uh, Williams had 7.3 yards per carry and Michael Carter, 8 yards per carry. Um, neither one of them are really in a bad spot because even though in Denver there's a Melvin Gordon, he's only on a one-year deal. I don't think the coaching staff is sold on him as being like a clear-cut starter. Um, and being that they're in transition potentially with their quarterback situation, say Vic Fangio decides to go Teddy Bridgewater this year as kind of like that uh, bridge quarterback until they get who they want long-term. Um, if they go away from Drew Locke, go Teddy Bridgewater's way, there's nothing to say that they don't say, hey, you know, we know Javante Williams is the guy of the future, so we're just going to plug him in as a starter and let Melvin Gordon be the backup. Um, that's completely possible. And then in regards to Michael Carter with the Jets, that's even less competition there, right? They bring in Tevin Coleman, who, you know, maybe he starts, but I don't think he'll ever stay healthy. Um, they have Michael Perrine, who they drafted last year, who really never got going with anything last season. Um, and then Ty Johnson, who I believe came from Detroit, was, you know, the guy that was in there at the end of the season last year. Now, when, when they spend a high pick on Michael Carter, I just have to assume that he's going to step in and immediately be the starter um, for the Jets. So, you know, outside of, of Harris and Etienne, I think that really Javante Williams and Michael Carter are more the rookie running backs you should be paying attention to in regards to a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And, and just to circle back to Pittsburgh with Najee Harris, I think the biggest thing that hurt Pittsburgh this year is Big Ben coming back for another year. Because if Big Ben retires, they're too low to take a quarterback in the first round. Like they can completely re they can start their rebuild a year early and really focus on, you know, picking up some offensive line or defensive line pieces that they could kind of groom for the future. But yeah, I, I just, the Steelers are at least third in that division right now and possibly fourth with the way that the Bengals have improved this year. So uh, I 100% agree with you on Javante Williams and Michael Carter. I think both of those running backs have landed in some of the best positions and I wouldn't even put it past Denver at cutting uh, Melvin Gordon by the time the season starts if Javante Williams has a good camp and has yeah. shown that he can handle the load because yeah, that's only dead money for this season then at that point correct exa exactly there's going to be no dead money in the future um, and that's a point where you know do you want a running back that's going to cost nine million dollars when you possibly could save six million in a cap strap year I think that that's something that could absolutely happen and I agree with you with Michael Carter with the Jets I think Carter and I sent you a text right when he was drafted in the fourth round uh on uh Saturday I said hey that is a great landing spot for Carter just because mm -hmm. like you said uh Tevin Coleman um could he be started could he not be he struggled with injuries last year as well with San Francisco uh and and Michael P Ryan and also Ty Johnson I don't think are are anything more than just kind of change of pace or special teams back so yeah. really I think it's between Carter and Coleman for the starting job with the Jets um and I think that the offense is going to be better than it's been in the past two years under Adam Gase with um with Mike LaFleur as their starting uh, as their offensive coordinator under Robert Salah. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I think um, of those, the four running backs taken there uh, that we've been talking about, I think Williams and Carter have the best shot to, to really be solid contributors by the time the year ends. Najee Harris is going to get the volume, but who knows what type of production he's going to get with the way that Steelers offense is going to look as the year goes on. Points. So let's move on to um, tight ends, you know, uh, really, the biggest name possibly to come out of the drafts since maybe, uh, you know, there was a lot of, of um, I guess, fanfare for uh, TJ Hawkinson when he came out and Noah Fant, the two tight ends from Iowa. Yep. Um, but Kyle Pitts this year goes number four to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, a lot of scouts are saying he's the, he was the best pure prospect in the, in the NFL draft this year. Um, 
when you take quarterback, the premium that's put on the quarterback position, Kyle Pitts had legitimately had a chance to go number one overall, just from a, uh, a being a prospect standpoint, they're saying that he's once in a generation type uh, tight end. He can run routes as well as a wide receiver. He's 250 pounds and can run a four, four 40. So the dude is just a specimen. Um, is, are, are we going to see Kyle Pitts, is he automatically the second tight end now off the board in fantasy drafts? And is he automatically in the, the top five or even top three discussion for, for a tight end? Are we ready to crown him and put him in that tier or are we jumping the gun a little too soon? Well, you know, I am. I know, I, know you, I, know, I know what you're doing, Brad. <laughs> I'm just, I'm gaslighting you here a little bit. So yeah, you're loading me up. You just sound like an idiot. <laughs> Um, the answer for me is is yes, he should be the second tight end off the board. The answer in reality is that no, he won't be the first uh, the second tight end taken off most boards in fantasy drafts because George Kittle's going to go, Darren Waller's going to go, and then probably at that point, you know, he'll probably be the the, the fourth tight end taken in most uh, most fantasy drafts. Um, but I agree with all the scouts that that spoke so highly of Kyle Pitts. Um, for me, you can talk about all the intangibles and you can talk about his 40 time. You can talk about his hand size. You can talk about his leaping ability. You can talk about his route running. You can talk about the fact that nobody can cover him, whether you're a safety or a linebacker. You can talk about all those things. But what it comes down to me is the Jerry Rice test, right? So coming out of college, Jerry Rice, most scouts thought he wasn't fast enough to play in the NFL. But if you watch film of Jerry Rice, you just know that that guy can play football. When I watch Kyle Pitts play, I don't think about the fact he's a tight end. I don't think about all those intangibles. I just watch him play the game. And his instincts of when to go up and get the ball are among the best that I've ever seen um, up there with Randy Moss. And when you talk about a guy that's bigger than Randy Moss, just as fast as Randy Moss, has bigger hands than Randy Moss, and is going to cause matchup nightmares all over the defense, to me – and, and by him going number four was essentially him being the number one pick because the three teams ahead of him had to take quarterbacks and they took the quarterbacks they had to take. So for, for Atlanta to spend the number four overall pick on Kyle Pitts, it shows you what they think of him, considering that this is a team that already has a, an extremely strong receiving core. That they don't really need another pass target. But when he's a generational talent like this, I think you can't pass him up. And I can't speak highly enough about Kyle Pitts. The one thing I will caution uh, potential fantasy owners is the same thing I mentioned about Jamar Chase in Cincinnati. I really think that teams, defenses are going to um, try to take these rookies out of the game plan um, first and be first priorities, um, even though there might be more established or more talented players around them at this time. I think Pitts is going to be the focal point of opposing defenses, which, you know, maybe it won't matter, like I said, because of all those reasons that I think that he's going to be uh, an absolute phenom. Um, but at the very least, if you're a Julio Jones or um, a Calvin Ridley owner or your Brad who has both, um, I think things are going to be looking a lot better for you because of Kyle Pitts' presence. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I'm, I'm hoping that we get to see an Atlanta offense that has Pitts, Ridley, and Jones all in the field for uh, the year. Um, it's looking like it's going to be Mike Davis as the starting uh, running back for Atlanta, mm -hmm. um, who is – he's solid. He had a solid year for Carolina last year filling in for – um, Christian McCaffrey. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's quite, it's created quite the conundrum for me owning a couple high rookie picks in our dynasty draft is do you take pits or do you continue to build with wide receivers and running backs and try to just get average production out of the tight end position? Um, <clears throat> it's tough to see what his ceiling is going to be. I mean, it, it, you saw how well Tony Gonzalez played when he went to Atlanta. Um, you saw how well uh, Atlanta has done well for the most part with tight ends up until recently um, with production. So yeah, and even Austin Hooper who left for Cleveland, you know, he had a pro bowl year at tight end, you know, while Julio and Calvin Ridley were getting tons of looks. Exactly. So I think that plays a large role with how, how I guess highly touted Pitts is going to be when it comes to dynasty and that type and, and being a high spot in drafts uh, because of his landing area too. So um, I think when we're talking about redraft, I think Pitts is firmly in the top four for tight ends. I, I think you've got um, Kelsey, you've got Kittle and Waller who are your top three. And then I think any, any other, if you're going to take any other tight end after that, I think it's going to be Pitts just because of the potential. So um you know, I think it was a slam dunk pick for Atlanta. 
Um, could they have taken a quarterback? Could they have taken Justin Fields or could they have taken, God forbid, Mac Jones? I, I'm glad they didn't do that, but could Fields have been the pick there? Um, I think that they're going to try to compete this year. One last year here with the band together, we've got Julio, uh, Matt Ryan is probably, you know, possibly going to be traded or gone after this next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, I think Atlanta's kind of going to get the band together one last time here and, and try to be able to um, go, you know, the, at least try to make one more run here before they tear everything down. I mean, I think you have to, you've invested so much time and money into Matt Ryan and he's been so consistently decent. <laughs> I yeah. guess. I mean, the stats will just tell you that he's great. Uh, but in reality, if you watch a lot of Falcons games, um, you know, especially last year was a great example. Like he has that shirt, uh, but how many of those stats are coming like in the second half, late in the second half, because they're down uh, just because they can't put together offensive drives in the first half of games for some reason. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, Matt Ryan's fine. He's good. But if you surround him with great weapons, like he's a very accurate passer. He's always gotten the ball out relatively quick. So, you know, there's potential there. So the one thing that is a wrinkle that I want to throw in there really quickly, because we do have to move on uh, about Kyle Pitts is because Mike Davis is for sure, in my opinion, he's going to enter the season as a starting running back because um, it's not going to be Brian Hill. Uh, it's going to be Mike Davis. So, you know, Kyle Pitts, He's got that 4.44 40 speed, uh, super fast. Say Atlanta decides they're going to start running a a pistol package where you have Pitts in the backfield, you know, presumably as a blocker, but you can hand the ball off to him as a fullback. And now you have a six foot six, what, six foot seven uh, guy running a four, four coming at you around the outside. Um, Maybe you get some, some touches as a running back um, out of this offense as well. You know, again, just put the ball in that guy's hands and let him work. Um, Just something to keep in mind. But uh, really quickly, we had some other stuff on the docket, Brad, um, that we're just going to have to push, I guess, to another podcast because we are already over. Um, But before anything happens with the situation, I did want to hit on the Aaron Rodgers situation that's kind of come up uh, over the past weekend while the draft was going on. Uh, You know, we knew this offseason Aaron Rodgers was becoming increasingly unhappy with the organization. You know, last year in the draft, they go out and they draft his Presumable replacement in Jordan Love, um, and then also instead of getting a, a wide receiver to complement um, uh, Devonte uh, Adams, they draft a, a big running back while they have Aaron Jones. So essentially, Aaron Rodgers had come out to the public and said that unless the team is willing to part ways uh, with with general manager Brian Gutenkunst, then essentially he's not coming back. Um, so what's your take on the whole situation and what are some landing spots that you could potentially see uh, being able to be worked out? I know that San Francisco so far is the only team that's been publicly made known that you know, John Lynch made the call and um, that, that Gutenkunst really quickly shut that down. Um, but, but what's your take on it? And where could you see Aaron Rodgers landing? So I think that it's, it's been just a completely botched uh, I guess botched situation with Green Bay's front office. Like, you could easily have basically kept Aaron and when you've got a guy who has won three MVPs, who's won a Super Bowl for you, has taken you to the playoffs numerous times. Um, I think the least you could do as a front office is say, Hey, Aaron, we're thinking about draft. We're, we're possibly going to draft a quarterback here at the end of the first round. You know, we wanted to keep you in the loop with everything. This is our plan going down the road to address your concerns with wide receiver or, offensive line, those type of things. And they did none of that. Jordan Love, when he was drafted, they, they basically the front office, kept, front office kept nobody in the loop from a player standpoint. And Aaron Rodgers obviously was was pissed by it. I mean, who wouldn't be, you know? Um, so then he goes on and has an MVP year <laughs> and basically just tears it up. And apparently there's been some other things going on behind the scenes that we're probably all not privy to, but he's upset. I think that there's three things that happen in this situation. The Packers fire their GM, which would possibly make him better or make him happy. Um, and they move on and, and they keep Aaron Rodgers and, you know, try to smooth things over. They trade him, right? And there are going to be no shortage of teams that come trading. But how do you sell trading a three-time MVP and your franchise quarterback to your fan base, uh, no matter who you get back in return for that? Or they could sit there and they could play hardball and call his bluff. They could basically say, hey, you're, we're not trading you. 
So you're not going to play for anybody else if it's not going to be for us. And if you want to go do Jeopardy, you want to go do whatever at this point, like that's on you, but you're not going to be traded. So basically force him either into playing or retiring with them with what they've, they've got. Um, neither, all three situations aren't good. Um, I think if they're trying to save face and there is some really, some things going on behind the scenes, I think firing their GM is probably the easiest route to go to continue to try to get things the way that they're supposed to be. But um, you know, if you're going to trade him, I mean, you've got a handful of teams. So like you said, San Francisco is called Houston needs a quarterback. Do they switch? Do they mm-hmm. flip Watson over to green Bay and send Rogers to Houston? That would be insane um, for that to happen. Um, and Houston could obviously throw in some picks or vice versa. I mean, have you ever seen a, tra- a trade where two MVP caliber QB switched positions in that I've never, you know, it would be a first of its kind. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the Raiders who are, um, I don't think are sold on Derek Carr as being their franchise quarterback and, and would want to get better that way. And surprisingly um, Rogers is actually listed in Las Vegas as a potential landing spot that he would have interest in. Now, I'm, I'm sure part of it is proximity to California. You know, I think his ultimate primary destination would be San Francisco, but I can't see Green Bay trading to within the same conference, a team that very likely could, you know, take their playoff spot. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, God forbid New England gets involved and then do they send Mac Jones or other picks up there with him? Um, You know, I just, you've got Pittsburgh and uh, Denver just traded for Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater. So, you know, would that prevent them from trading for Rodgers? I think that would be stupid if they had the opportunity to, to say, no, we've got Teddy Bridgewater. We're okay. We don't need Aaron Rodgers. But, um, and then like, you know, Seattle was, Will, Russell Wilson isn't happy in Seattle. So, you know, could Russell Wilson go to Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers go to Seattle? I mean, it's going to be wild, but it's, it's going to be an interesting standoff between Rodgers and the team to see, you know, it's kind of like Watson in Houston. Watson has, uh, has lost a lot of his leverage right now with all of the legal issues that he's going through with his civil suits. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know if he gets traded. I, I think, I think my gut tells me he doesn't get traded and this somehow gets worked out, whether with them just saying, Hey, like, we're going to try to figure this out. We'll be a little bit better that, you know, <laughs> send him some chocolate covered strawberries and in a trip to Napa Valley or something like that. I don't know, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Where do you think he ends up? Uh, or is he still play for the Packers when we start next year here? I mean, God, it's just so simple, right? Like, the Packers fans really like Gutenkunst as their general manager. Like, I don't understand. This is a team that has been in the NFC Championship game two years in a row now. And after they uh, lost to the 49ers two years ago, they go out and they get, and they're with their first two selections in the draft, take two players that have absolutely no impact in the playoffs the following season. Um, that in a, alone is enough for me to say he should have been fired um, at that point. Um, definitely at the end of this season. Um, so I don't know what he has on the rest of the people making decisions for the Packers, but he is not a good general manager. Um, it is Packers fans. It's completely been Aaron Rodgers holding your franchise up since Brett Barbla. Um, and the fact that Gloomkunst has not been fired yet really makes me question how good of an organization that Green Bay Packers really are. Um, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm gladly retiring at the very last second that I can if they do not fire this guy for you um, and putting them in a really bad spot. And at that point, Green Bay is going to be in shambles. Um, fire that guy, Green Bay, so you can keep Aaron Rodgers. Um, but if there were to be a trade, I think the most interesting one is flipping um, with Seattle and sending Rodgers out to Seattle, which kind of satisfies his desire to be out on the West Coast. Uh, and it, it makes sense because Seattle's in a, a place right now where they can win now um, if everybody stays healthy. Whereas Green Bay, they're going to be in transition, you know, whether they keep Rodgers or not. Um, they've already started it very clearly. Um, so, you know, Wilson's a little bit younger, maybe gives them a little bit more of a chance to uh, capitalize on this bigger window they have as opposed to what Seattle has. I think that's the most interesting. But again, the easiest low-hanging fruit is just fire that general man. Listen to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I would. I would tend to agree that you fire him and and you move on and you keep your franchise quarterback and like I said, you try to smooth things over as best you can. 
um, with that for sure. That's true. Well, that's all the time that we have this week. I want to thank you all for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. Go to findbet.com to check out all of our newest content, catch up on the state of the NBA and pop culture in booms, busts, and Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and remember to follow us on Twitter at findbet underscore news and on Instagram at findbet just one word to know when all of our new content hits findbet.com. Uh, Brad, anything to say to, to our listeners before we leave? No, it's always good to be back. I know we haven't had a lot of football talk here on the site lately, just with the off season and everything, but it's going to be picking back up and we've got fantasy stuff coming through and, you know, lots of stuff going, kicking back into gear here as, as we get closer to summer here. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to, to be kicking things back into gear. Football's back, baby. Thanks again <laughs> for joining us on the catch. And until next time, may the waivers always be in your favor, my friends. Goodbye. <laughs>